You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour Podcast with your host, Brett Matthijs. All right, before we start, I first I gotta say I'm just super excited for this podcast. <laughs> I couldn't be more thrilled. Um, I think people are gonna learn so, so much and I'm gonna learn a bunch too. Um, so I'll let either one of you take this first question. Have you seen the movie Ice Age, the children's classic? Oh yeah. Yeah. Ice Age, oh that's classic. Yeah. I like the first one the best. Oh, absolutely. The original is definitely the best. And uh, yeah, you have to have that. Did that movie hurt or help the public image of mammoths? Well, I don't know what you think, Bethany, but I I would say it helped. I mean, even though they had weird animals that you kind of go, what is that? There was certain things that just brought it together. That squirrel. Yes, yeah. And I forget what his name is. Scratch. 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 Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. And uh, and, and the, the yeah that and then of course the sloth. Yeah. And there's a colleague of mine uh, who's now doing some prep work for us. She says, "Oh, Ice Age movie. I like it, but you know that the sloth was it was speaking English. I mean, you know, it's that's not right." And I go, "It was speaking." It was, I mean, yeah, you know it's general. a cartoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. I always thought I loved the movie as a kid, but I'm not a huge Ray Romano fan, so that he voiced uh, the mammoth in that movie. So I was like, oh, man, like why couldn't we get Jim Carrey or something? But overall, I think very good, very yeah. good. Yeah. Awesome. I think it made it more relatable to kids. And very so true. that when kids come to the mammoth site, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's Manny. And so they can relate it to something that they've seen. And so, you know, it's just pop culture, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really cool. I, I think also, uh, I mean, when you think of science, you know, we, we're, well, we're the, we're the Pleistocene. And everybody's going to go, what, what's that? Is that a new disease? You know, what? Exactly. If we say Ice Age, you got it. We don't talk really about the Mesozoic. We talk about the dinosaurs. So I think we need to have certain terms out there that, you know, clue everybody in. And Ice Age is the perfect one. I think I think the movie helped a lot. Awesome. Okay, before we get too far into it, we got to do introductions. So sitting on my left. I'm Bethany Cook. I am the public relations coordinator at the Mammoth site. Awesome. And then on my right. I'm Jim Mead. I'm director of research. Um, and I like to dig. Like to dig. Very good do- job description. Okay, first to understand the animal, the mammoth, we got to understand where they came from, and you touched on it a little bit. We talk about the Pleistocene epic, mm-hmm. which epic is spelled very differently than a lot of kids would know. E-P-I- epoch. Yeah, epoch. Epoch. Or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Can you explain how long ago that was and, and what it kind of looked like during the Pleistocene? The Pleistocene is the most recent two and a half million years, approximately. And if you get uh, 10 scientists in the room that talk about the Pleistocene, you'll probably have nine to 11 different definitions. But oh, mainly, really? It's yeah, varied? It, it does vary in detail. But for you and me, it's kind of like, it's all the same. What it is, is based on climate. And uh, since the last, say, 10 million years, we've been getting cooler and cooler and cooler to the point where about 2.5 million years ago, ice was developing all over Antarctica and all over other areas like Greenland and such. And we'd go through these episodes of really cold weather and really warm weather, and they would call them glacials and interglacials. We're in interglacial now. And uh, during glacials, 
Uh, for North America, all Canada is ice. Great Lakes are ice. New York City is ice. Seattle is all ice. When you're saying ice, can you give us like a... Two miles thick. Two miles thick. Mile to two miles thick, depending where you are. So if you're at the corner of downtown Manhattan, you're under a mile and a half of ice. Really? That's crazy. Yeah, so it means you don't live there. It means everything is pushed south. So it's a climatic period. It's defined by climate. But we can also take animals that are in those groupings of time and say, oh, well, the mammoth was here that whole time. It came over from Eurasia. And, did uh, it come over on the land bridge? Yeah, it yeah. Did. So, okay. And the land bridge you're talking about is, is Beringia. So if you have one to two miles of ice covering that much of North America and other places, the sea level drops. Well, if you drop it too far, then you start seeing land, and you can walk from Alaska to Siberia which we should do not today because it's winter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this Beringia, it's, I think a lot of people, and I did for a long time, when you think about it, you're thinking like this narrow strip where it's like people are just crossing single file line and animals are crossing, but it's this huge, huge. wide. Yeah. I mean, people, the animals crossing had no idea that they were crossing Beringia. They just thought they were just on land. Right, right. I mean, we wouldn't have noticed it. It would be low land. But, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be like uh, walking across a little narrow bridge. Yeah. Uh, it'd be like walking from Canada to Texas. It's kind of like, well, you got the whole Midwest. You wouldn't see the edges. Yeah, for sure. So with mammoths get a lot of attention, and we're going to give them a lot of attention. But during the Pleistocene, there's an inordinate amount of really cool, interesting other animals going on. Is there any animals that are around today still that were around during the Pleistocene? Well, Bethany, what would be some of your favorite? Uh, some of my favorite Pleistocene animals. Mm-hmm. I love the giant short-faced bear, and I love the giant sloth. Yes. Those are my two favorites. Um, my daughter especially loves the giant sloth. But um, the giant short-faced bear, we have at the site, we've actually discovered two of them. Oh, now. really? So we, Yeah, we have two, which is interesting, mm-hmm. especially for our location. And um, they're just an impressive creature, and I'm kind of glad they are extinct. Yeah, <laughs> when you think about... Um I mean, it kind of explains it, giant, short face, so you know it's big, and you know it looks like it ran into a wall because its muzzle is shorter. And that's really in comparison to polar bear, grizzly bear, brown bear, Kodiak bear, black bear. They all are in a family, and they too came over the Beringia at different times. Uh, They came over, went clear down to southern South America, kind of changed how they are, just enough to be really different. And then some of them came back north. The ones that came back north, we would say, oh, that's the giant short-faced bear. You look real different than the black bear and all these other things. So there's, uh, it's, it's neat, and it was huge. There's a larger one in Argentina. So it would make, it'd be the difference between what we see as a black bear and a Kodiak bear, we would say, well, from the giant short-faced bear to this monstrous thing that's about 20 feet tall. So it's kind of like that would get attention. Yeah, it is 20 feet tall, like when standing stands on, his, up. on his back yeah, legs, yeah. which is just, I think with when you're talking about these animals that are now extinct um, with the Pleistocene or, say, when dinosaurs, as a lot of people are familiar with, dinosaurs seem hard to grasp, like that yeah. a Tyrannosaurus rex was walking around North America. But when you think giant short-faced bear, it's like that's a little easier to grasp because we still have remnants of things that Bears. kind of look like that. Not to the size and to the 
scary aggressiveness that that is, <laughs> but we still have kind of remnants of that. I think when uh, when you talk with people who uh, live up in, say, Hudson Bay area, and the polar bears can come up to their house and look in the windows and all that, realize, you know, here we are in a second-story building, and a giant short-faced bear could be looking in that window by standing up on its hind legs. That would be impressive. I think I'd probably faint. Yeah, me too. If or I just saw a bear's head just bobbing yeah. <laughs> by. Exactly. So one animal that I've been just completely enamored with is the bison latifrons. I'm not sure how familiar you are with mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, latifrons. Right. Okay, for sure. Which is, for people that don't know, is this ginormous bison, almost twice the size of our, or over twice the size over, mm-hmm. of, of the bison that we see nowadays. So bison latifrons is the Linnaean name. Mm-hmm. And then currently our bison bison are what we see in Custer State Park and, right. and all around the Black Hills. Bison latifrons horn tip was like seven feet tip to tip. Easily. And it's just slowly morphed into what we have now is this bison bison, correct? Yeah, what it is is when you have a, a, the bison from, say, Siberia, Beringia, they were large and their horns kind of curled a little bit different way, but they were clearly big. Uh, if you saw them a mile away, you'd say, that's a different bison. As they move into North America coming across, uh, when you inhabit different environments, you, you fit that environment. If you live on an island, you're going to become smaller. If you live in an area where, uh, due to the the open forest environment, you become more uh, social in your interactions, bigger stands out, literally and figuratively. So uh, you want to impress your uh, other people. I want to be the dominant male. I want all the women. You become different. And that bigness is shown in that. But they were a dead-end run. So when they died out, that was all she wrote. Other bison weren't in those environments, and they also became big but not as big. But you'd still say, that's a bigger bison. And they're the ones that basically evolve into what we see today. And, of course, what we look at today, we still think of, wow, that's monstrous. You know, and Bethany likes the sloth, and I agree. I like the bison. And, and of course, now we're showing the evolution of bison at the mammoth site. Okay. We don't have any bison from the, the sinkhole where we have 61 mammoths. And that always bothered me. And it's because it dates just when the bison are coming into North America. Mm. So they, it's not as if when bison or mammoths enter, they all hold hands and run to Florida, you know, or trunks or whatever. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what it is is they're going to pick their way. And I think mammosite was not on the way for bison at, at 100 and. 40 or 190,000 years ago. Okay. So it, but I, we, we're now showing that evolution. Okay. Very, very cool. So now, since we've talked about the other stuff, we'll get to the main topic discussion here, the mammoth. (laughs) I have a laundry list of things to kind of give people an overview of what they look like and all that good stuff. So I'm going to list off the thing and you tell me what that is. So how tall is the mammoth? Like or the average mammoth, obviously, so there's some variation. Yeah, well, it's sort of like humans. What's the average height of a human? It's kind of like, well, if Bethany and I show up at a basketball game, we're at the other end of the curve, you yes. know. <laughs> uh, your, quote, typical Colombian mammoth, let's say it's going uh, to stand 10 to 14 feet high. Okay, at the shoulder. At the shoulder. And, of course, being mammoths, they're not going to rear up on their hind legs too much, but certainly they have a head that stands higher, and uh, they're going to be a heavy animal. 
Okay, you're talking, you know, good 10 tons or more. Really, 10 but, tons? Uh, again, like, like humans that live in environments, if they live near the coast, they're going to be a, they're going to adapt to that environment. If they occur in the southern Arizona, northern Sonora, Mexico desert, it's, it's too damn hot. Yeah. So you don't want to be big, heavy thing. You Which want to that be, goes into uh, Bergman's principle. Have you ever heard of does. Bergman's principle? Right. Yeah. Bergman, the further north you go, the, the bigger mass you have. There's also Allen's rule that says in the colder area you are, the shorter your legs are because you want to be closer to the ground. So Bethy and I must be from the <laughs> Arctic because we're short. Exactly. But uh, mammoths, uh, they're, they're huge. They're, there's no question. Even a, quote, small mammoth that we would find in, say, Arizona uh, or Mexico is still a big puppy. I wouldn't go up and, you know, yank no. his trunk. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So lifespan of a mammoth, do we have any clue of how long they lived and how long, like, an individual mammoth lived? The ones that we've worked with uh when you you have to compare them to elephants okay and yep. most is known about the african elephant even though that's more distantly related than the asian elephant is to the mammoth but they're all pretty close we're looking at 60 70 years pretty okay. much like humans yeah yeah and uh you can tell that based on her teeth so when you know when bethany's out there and she'll pull out a big tooth and go this looks like the, you know, the, the wisdom tooth, which would be an M3, uh, third molar. That's, that's an older individual. It's mature. It's like you and me. And you better keep it around a while. You know, don't wear it down because when that's gone, you know, it's yes. eating mush. Yeah, for sure. So it is for a wild animal, by all means, that's a very long lifespan. Considering yeah. you look at whatever wild animals are around now, deer and stuff live to be five, maybe, if they're very lucky. Mm -hmm. So 60, 70 years is a good run. Yeah, and bison, you know, 20 years. Uh, what's a cat, Bethany? A cat, maybe 18. 18. 18 years. Uh, most carnivores are not going to be real, real old because yeah. of the, the lifestyle they have. Um, herbivores are probably going to be lasting longer. And if you're clever or big, you'll probably last longer. For or sure. if you're slow like a turtle, just disappear, hunker down. Yep. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some variation. What are mammoths eating? What's their diet like? If we can relate it at all to what we kind of have now around, because obviously well, it's a little different. Well, it, it is, but it isn't. Mammoths are, are really, uh, really good grazers. Uh, first of all, you know that by looking at its tooth. It's a huge tooth that not only wears forward realize all mammoth teeth all elephant teeth grow at the back of the jaw and they move forward like a conveyor belt so uh as that's worn out it gets spat out of its mouth and the next one's in line sort of wait thing. okay so yeah. let me see if did i hear that right so yeah they regrow teeth over time it's not like they push them forward so ours yeah. come up so you look at yours yeah well that's your first tooth and there's yeah. second and third and fourth and then your wisdom is the back of the jaw no elephants the whole group they push forward and so when you have your wisdom tooth as a mammoth you've already blasted out of your mouth all the other ones really yeah so that's, that's how you amazing. can tell them how old how old they are that's how we know that at the mammoth site um correct me if i'm wrong bethany but i think the average is in there is in the 30s we don't have real youngsters we don't have babies mm -mm, no babies and i think the one oldest one that we have is approximately 47. yeah yeah so we don't have any real old people so it's a different bell-shaped curve 
So the elephants are eating graze for the most part. Now they're not good at grazing. They just do a lot of grazing. They'll pick it up, put it in their mouth. You see them chewing it around and then boom, it goes into the stomach. Well, that means they're going to need a lot of energy. So they're going to, a big African, big Asian elephant today will eat, what, six, seven hundred pounds of fodder a day, let alone the liters of water needed. And the interesting side of that is that means out of the south end of a northbound elephant, there's going to be a lot of dung. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a cave in Utah, a dry cave called uh, Becha Cave. It's a Navajo word for big poop. Oh, cave. really? Okay. How do you spell Becha? B E C H A N. Okay. Becha Cave. Okay. And we named it that because of the dung. Over 300 cubic yards of mammoth dung. My goodness. And the interesting thing is, it's very poorly chewed. We get uh, long streamers of uh, 10, 12 inches long of grass wadded up in them. means they chewed it up a little bit and then gulped it down and then out it went. It's not like my mom who'd say, chew your food 13 times and then swallow. (laughs) No, none of that. I'm done with that. Do they have, um, I guess people would probably relate it to cows. You know, cows have multiple stomachs. Do they have that going on or is it just the one? They're just stuck with the one. A different type of stomach. Yep, different type of stomach. Yeah. Very cool. So what is the accepted theory of why they went extinct? Why are they gone now? I'm going to let the scientist handle that one. <laughs> she knows the answer. I do. Um, there, there's a, a number of answers in it. As humans, we want it left or right, black or white. We want yeah. it what one is or it? the other. Yeah. I don't want to know too much. I just want to know the answer. There isn't. Uh, there's a good uh, feeling that in some cases, some areas, people killed them off. The, the Blitzkrieg, correct? The Blitzkrieg, yeah. right. Now, what that is really saying is if there was, say, in this area, I'm making it up, in this area of the Black Hills, there was 100 mammoths, Blitzkrieg would say, I, I've come in and I've killed 100 mammoths, and therefore they're gone. Um, you don't have to do that to, to make an animal go extinct. All you have to do is kill off enough of them to allow the system not to re- reproduce. Yeah, until you don't have like a viable, po- like if you have right. two mammoths left, you probably don't have a viable reproducing population and, and so, they're essentially gone. Right, so in a matter of number of generations, that, high, that, that herd is non-viable and they disappear in a, probably a couple hundred years. Now you could do the same thing with climate. If climate changes on some, some animals, if climate changes enough so that it's too hot, mom do, can't do what mom does, Dad can't do what dad does at the right time, and therefore, viably, they're not reproducing. So they didn't really get killed off. They just disappeared. Um, So climate is probably a scenario in some cases. Uh, People probably helped it out. You could be on the edge of near extinction, and if that little two-legged animal didn't hunt you, you probably would have made it through. Uh, but that wasn't the case in some places. Uh, that probably happened for a lot of animals besides the mammoth. Yeah. Bethany's yeah. giant sloth. Uh, case of the, the carnivores, I doubt if early humans said, well, let's, let's get rid of all the bears. Uh, I'm sure it's kind of like, let's leave them alone. But if you get rid of its food source, if all you eat are hamburgers and the hamburger place disappears, you have two options. One is you can 
change your diet, which you probably should. The other option is you're going to die. Now, you could move if you're allowed to move, and you can move to a new area. So there's really maybe three options on that. But if you go to a new area, you hope that it has hamburgers sort of thing. Yep, so absolutely. it's based really on climate and diet, but humans were probably a real critical bugaboo that got thrown in about 13,000 years ago. Yeah, so the thing that is crazy to me is you were saying humans are hunting mammoths, which you just said are Mm -hmm. 10 tons, 10 to 14 feet tall, but they're not coming up to them with 30-aught sixes. They're hunting with atlatls, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, for people that don't know, it's I guess the best way to explain it is it's kind of like that tennis ball thrower that you do for your dog, but with an arrow. Yeah. Which just seems like you're taking on a real big thing with not a lot of weaponry. So it's just like what is the thought process on that? Is it just the mammoth didn't notice the humans as that's predators? The, that's some of the thinking. I mean, if, if uh, we see that when we come to, to new lands, uh, a lot of the animals kind of go, I don't recognize what you are. I don't know that you're a danger. That could be the case, uh, a fatal mistake. Um, I think also, I don't know, it's just um, humans are clever. So all you, I mean, you're not, I'm not going to, in the middle of a, a big parking lot and there's an elephant there, I'm not going to run up and try to stab it because there's a good chance that I won't make, you know, make it through. But if I hinder it, if I keep it busy with other folks, you know, get Bobby up front, I'll be in the back. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, um, and then if I can get it to where it's, it's not really mired down but doesn't have the freedom to move around, now I've made it a little bit better. So some of the fossil sites we find uh, – they're either in a, a muddy area, which starts to restrict your movement as an elephant, as a mammoth. Uh, there's also one in a sand dune. If you can get them into uh, a riverbed, a dry arroyo, such as in Wyoming, and have them go up where it becomes narrower and narrower as you go uphill, uh, you've now restricted it. So there's a number of ways to play that game, and the more clever the human, presto. Was there ever anything, buffalo jumps are popular out here and people know mm-hmm. about them, are familiar with them. Is there anything like that with mammoths or was that not a viable option? I don't know if there's any mammoth jump, but there's certainly uh, places where mammoths were close to cliffs and you had folks above. But uh, we don't have a, like the head smashed in uh, site up in Alberta or the ones in Idaho. We don't have where, you know, well, just run the mammoths over the cliffs. I think the mammoths were kind of like, I'm not going there, you yeah. know, so I'm not that dumb. And so they're not a fast runner anyway, although they could outrun us, but still. Hmm, very interesting. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get back into the site itself down in Hot Springs. Hey, guys and gals, it's Brett Matice, the host of the Midwest Marketing Podcast. I need you to do me a favor really, really quick. I promise you it won't take long. However you're listening to this here podcast, go on to iTunes, Stitcher, maybe you're just on our website, whatever it is. Go give us a five-star rating. See those stars? There's going to be five of them. Just go to the one furthest on the right-hand side. Click that one. Maybe write a few quick, nice words about us. Unless you don't like us very much, then don't write anything at all. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Let's get back to listening. All right, so I would assume that down in Hot Springs, however long ago, I'm not sure the exact dates I know you guys do, someone didn't just walk around and stumble upon a bunch of big bones. How in the world did this get discovered that we got mammoths under the ground in hot springs okay so it's really interesting um a gentleman by the name of phil anderson was a landowner and he was going to build a housing development 
And so during that process, there was a backhoe, and it scraped across something. Um, George Hansen was driving the backhoe. Here's the backhoe operator. And they noticed something, and he goes, I think that's bone. I'm not exactly sure. So um, he had a son, and his son was going to school down at Chattern State College, um, and he knew Dr. Agenbrod. And so actually Dr. Mead was the first one on site that came up to take a look at what was happening. And so it was a tusk. And so at first, when they first thought that um, it was just going to be like a couple, maybe like a tooth, maybe a tusk. Three or four. Yeah. Whoa, maybe five. Yeah. Yeah, nothing to the comparison of what we have. So when they started excavating, it just became more and more and more. And they're like, oh, this is actually a mammoth graveyard. And so it was learning all the process. And that was in 1974. So, so when he comes across with the, the backhoe and he reveals that first piece of bone, the tusk, mm-hmm. how do you go about, like you said, just digging like, oh, this is more and more. Is it just more backhoe or how do you go about surgically they, getting they, down further? They dug a little bit more, as Bethany was saying. Then they stopped because of the son saying, hey, wait a minute. I think this, these are bones. These are tusks. This could be a mammoth, which was unheard of, you know, in the Black Hills mammoth. And so, as she said, you know, Larry was contacted. He and I were in southern Arizona at the Mexican border digging up mammoths. And we had just finished, and we were heading up to work on bison in Nebraska. And he says, well, uh, I'll get the, the bison started. You go on up and check out what's going on. So you get up there, and you start digging around. And, and uh, little by little, we're kind of going, it's getting bigger, as Bethany was saying. And it's kind of like... Uh, at first, they would say, well, look, uh, just go ahead and dig out the mammoths, and then I can continue building, uh, what, the basements to the houses? Yes, yeah. yes. And so we go, not a problem. So we dig, 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 and you, you're digging out, okay, here's a leg bone or something like that. Pick it up, move it, and go, oh, there's something underneath it. <laughs> and when you keep doing that, and it's expanding down, left, right, forward, and behind you, you kind of go, graveyard, something's going on here. What's going on? And so um, with that whole process, Phil Anderson sold the land at cost, at value, because he knew the scientific importance of what was happening. And so he sold it at cost to the newly formed Mammoth Site, which was, we're a nonprofit organization, we're a 501c3. And so he sold that land at cost. That's like a big thank you to Phil Anderson, because he could have, depending on what kind of guy owned that land at the time, he could have just driven the price up going, this is super important. Or just driven over. Or just, yeah. Or done that too, which would have been just like a crime against science. Yes. So he completely understood the whole value and the importance of it and the significance. And so that's, you know, with all of that, that's where we're at today. And we're at 61 mammoths. We have 58 Colombian and three woolly. And then we have also 87 other species that we've discovered. So it's incredible. It's, yeah, it's a kind of a treasure trove. Uh, what was it, 1978 that we formed the, I think we formed the 501c3? It was, yes, 1978. Yeah, and then at that point we were kind of saying, okay, we got to figure out what we have here. We know there's a lot of mammoth. Why is it pretty much mostly mammoth? I mean, we, as she said, you know, a lot of different animals, but it's usually one or two things. Or snail shells, well, a handful of dirt with snails, you can have 12 species. So the 85 is interesting environmentally, but uh, when it comes to 
bigger critters that you and I would see sort of thing. Mammoths is just it, and that's that's kind of odd. That I is, mean, yes. You kind of go, well, didn't mammoths play well with everybody else? Where's everybody else? You know, that sort of thing. Yes. And it looks like mammoths are the only ones getting stuck. Interesting. So I have two questions stemming from what you guys were just saying. First, you touched on three woolly mammoths, 58 Columbia mammoths. A lot of people I don't even think realize that Columbia mammoths are a thing. When they think mammoth, they think of the woolly mammoth. They think of the big, hairy, woolly mammoth. Can you explain a little bit in depth about the Columbian mammoth? Okay, so the Columbian mammoth is larger than the woolly, and it doesn't have its fur. So it basically looks like a giant African elephant. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the tusks are much larger, and it stands a lot larger than an African elephant. But basically, it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a really neat, neat creature. Um, And the woolly, of course, everybody identifies with Ice Age, the Manny. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, everybody is familiar with that. But as far as the Columbia mammoth goes, it's just much larger, and it doesn't have the full fur. Yeah, so color of, because elephant, you're saying it's similar to an African elephant, is it gray like that, or is it brown, or what, it, kind, it, what kind of color is it? That's our assumption. We've, uh, when you find fur in permafrost countries, so say Alaska, Yukon, Siberia, a lot of it is, is brown, you know, dark brown. Uh, brown is because of iron. Iron can oxidized to red so sometimes you find stuff that's red you go oh we have red haired animals yep. no it's a that's a, a a problem of time but yeah they're probably brown hair uh, as she said the you know uh it, the colombian probably was not real woolly although if you're up north you got to have a coat of some sort um you know you can see horses today horses during the summer very short, almost no fur, really. And then in the winter, you're going to go, boy, they're shaggy. So we might have seen something like that, a very shaggy African elephant, as Matthew okay. was saying. Must have been neat. Yes, yeah, I totally agree. So you touched on it just a little bit, but I want to dive deeper into it. Why Hot Springs? 61, right in this area around Hot Springs, South Dakota. That is that like a typical... Is that the density of mammoths, or is it just like a congregation So we right have there? a large concentration, right? So we actually have the largest concentration in the world of mammoths just because of in one area. And so when you think about it, why did they come here? Well, we have a sinkhole, and so that was filling up with warm water. It was fed by a spring, and so during that time, the warm water was pooling, and it was creating green grass around the edges of the sinkhole. And so we think of mammoths like elephants, so they're matriarchal society. And when we think about that, with the younger male mammoths, they're not really afraid of danger. And so the females, because I'll let the secret out, we have all males, right, currently. We don't have any females no. on our site. Really? Yes. So That's baffling. Right? And so to explain that a little bit with the sinkhole itself, so the females would stand back and the younger males would be like, I'm not afraid. I'll take care of it. I'll now. take care of it. <laughs> Sounds a lot like humans. Yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> so they would go and check out the grasses and then they would slip in and fall. Well, mammoths don't have claws like other creatures. Their feet are flat. And so when they would try to get out of the sinkhole, they would become trapped. And so basically, our sinkhole was a death trap to mammoths. Yeah, is mammoth selective. Man, that's crazy. Well, and you would think that uh, to a certain point, other because mammoth, mam- elephants are smart. And you can imagine that 
this wasn't happening like 10 or 12 a day. You're, I imagine it's every so often it's happening. Um, I would think that if, you know, if they, a herd came up to the sinkhole and they see something floating and bloating, you know, oh, that's Bobby, I'm not going to go in there today. You know, so they're, it's probably happening every so often. And uh, we have, you know, a good 50,000 plus years record. Uh, there may have been times that it was, a, you know, a mammoth every year or every couple years, something like that. We don't know. And then maybe the water level changed enough so that when they would come up to it, they kind of go, oh, that looks too dangerous. I'm not going to go in. So we find different periods of time, and we don't understand that yet. That's what we're still working on. But uh, as a kid, I remember being in a swimming pool, and usually you had an edge, and I could reach over the edge and pull myself out. But my feet weren't touching the ground, so it was kind of like keep paddling. And then there was a pool that it didn't have that, and I couldn't grasp the edge to pull myself out. And I remember almost panicking and then kind of going to the shallow end. You know, duh, you know, the, yep. <laughs> the knowledge sinks in. But I, the other day I was thinking about that. You know, that's what it would be with a mammoth. There's no way to grab hold of anything because they can't. Uh, there's, it's slippery. Uh, you're stuck. And if you can't touch the bottom... Now, later on, as it filled in, you, they could step the bottom. And if I remember, we have a number of places, remember, that where you can see footprints mm-hmm. where they're tiptoeing through the mud at the bottom of the sinkhole. But prior to that, they had 60 feet of water. That's not a good day. No, no. I'm guessing they're not super good swimmers. Well, uh, elephants actually aren't too bad at swimming, but how long can you swim? Yeah, exactly. That's, that becomes yep. the problem. Yeah, for sure. Because when the sediment itself in the sinkhole is spearfish shale, and so in limestone and some other stuff. stuff, and so it becomes very slick when it's wet. And so basically, you know, they have no traction or no way to pull themselves out. Man. I would have never guessed that was the reason that we have the congregation of mammoths in hot springs. It was just a bad day for certain folks. And again, it was for the male and it wasn't the babies. I'm sure, as Bethany said, you know, mom and grandma and the aunts are kind of keeping the little ones back. And the older ones are older ones because they go, I know not to go in there. Yes. So you're getting your middle age. Middle age say, I'm cool. I'm invincible. I can do this. I can swim. I can float, I can bloat, I can decay, you know. Man, that's so interesting. So we have 61. Are we still uncovering more today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day we're just digging away a little bit more. It, you know, we, we, we don't dig as much as we did in the in the 80s because of our approach towards it. Uh, we have, we're kind of a sustainable approach to it. But uh, if Bethany and, and uh, Preston said, okay, Jim, start digging away quickly, uh, I could keep digging down another 30 feet in mammoths for the next 10 years easily. Really? Do Um, you have a guess or a a theory at how many are left, if you can tell me that? So um, they what they did, I think it was in the 80s, correct? They did a core sample. Yeah. And so um, right now, when they did the core sample, they went down approximately 67 feet. feet. And so when they were doing that, they were still pulling up bone. And so they stopped and realized, okay, there's still more there. 
so we still have more to go. But our approach is to be able to show people and educate people about what the importance of the site is, what the importance of NAM is, and the whole Ice Age itself. And so we take a look at all of that and say, that's why we say in situ, which means to be left in place. Now, there are times that we do take out fossils out of the bone bed, um, whether it be for research purposes or because we want to get to something else that may be there. And none of the fossils that are taken out leave the site. We use, we do preparation on them, and then they are stored in our bone collection. And so none of them leave, and then visiting scientists can come and do research at the mammoth site. Um, we also show different things that are happening. And so basically our approach is all about science education and the importance of it. Yeah, so, you know, Bethany says, well, we can, we can dig out more. And I go, okay, I'll dig out more. And then she'll say, where are you going to put them? Well, after a year or so of preparation work, we'll put them in a, you know, the archive storage area where you can't go. Well, what's the point of that? So she would say, it has to be shown. It has to be educated. So really, our best archive area is the sinkhole where you can walk around and look at it. Hence why we need an educator. So we've, we've, we have an educator now. Is, uh, well, we've always had one, but we have one now that's Take, taking a little different approach that we're doing on a number of things at the mammoth site and uh, start saying, okay, let's start educating more and more in the bone bed, that kind of approach. Yeah, which I think is super smart to just get that because when you're educating people, you're garnering public interest and yeah. people are going and learning and then they're going home on their computers and Googling and just getting more in-depth information. And I think it gets them excited about what you guys are doing there. When people visit us during the summer, uh, they get excited about it. Then they go home to South Carolina or nearby Wisconsin or Florida, and they go, I found this bone. Is it a mammoth bone? Sometimes we get them and we, we answer, we need to see a picture. <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't <laughs> yeah. tell from your email. But uh, I, how many a week, Bethany, are you getting? Um, we usually get like anywhere from two to three requests at least a week. Um, a lot of people are interested in different programs that we have. And then also people say, hey, I was out digging in my yard. I found this thing. I think it's a tooth. And so we are open. All of our scientists do a really good job about, you know, talking to the people saying, hey, you know, this, yes, this is a tooth or no, that's something different or, hey, that was a really cool find that you found. So we're yeah, getting a lot sure. of that. Yes. Very cool. So I the first time I was at the Mammoth site was when I, I think it was a four or five. We came out here. I'm from Minnesota originally, so I came out here on vacation with my family. We were doing the whole Angostura, all that Southern Hill stuff, and apparently I was just I just loved the Mammoth site. I got to do the, the junior paleontological Dick. stuff. Yeah, yeah, so nice. for kids, can you talk, like, because it might seem like a grown-up kind of deal where you're looking at bones and stuff. But oh, you guys no. got some good, good stuff for kids. Yeah, so we have fantastic programs for children. So um, with our director of education, who is Dr. Sharon Holty, um, she came to us. She's been here for a year now with us. And so she is working on different programs. But we still have the junior paleontology program and the advanced. And so the junior paleontology program, it is a simulated dig that is in our education building. It takes about an hour. And kids get to uncover replicas that are made from the actual 
actual bones in our bone bed, and then they get to do bone identification with them. And so it's this whole component. They learn the techniques that our paleontologists use in our bone bed. They use the same tools that they use. And so it's basically, you know, teaching them, okay, this is how we excavate in our bone bed. And kids love it. And you get to get dirty. That kid doesn't love that. (laughs) But, you know, if you showed up going, okay, hey, I was here, uh, you know, 20 years ago digging up, and I want to do it again, we go, grow up. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're too old for the junior dig and the advance. But we do have a program where you as an adult, 18 and above, or 80 and below, or whatever you want, uh, a program that where you can come and work with us and do an excavation. And Bethany's basically the one in charge of that. So Yes. So it's um, currently called the Mammoth Site Excavation and Preservation Program. And so what it is, it is a two-week dig program where adults can come and they can learn how to excavate in our bone bed. We teach them, and so they get to dig. Real mammoths. Real mammoths. So. They get to do it actually in our bone bed. Um, they can also do lab work and prep work. And so you get a whole full spectrum of what we do at the mammoth site there is a cost to it but that covers your room and board and so and that may also be tax deductible when you talk to your tax advisor Mm -hmm. but it is such a neat experience and it's for two weeks you get to hang out with our scientists you get to hang out with me which i think is pretty awesome (laughs) that's definitely and so um you know we have a sort of camaraderie as well and so the mammoth site we're a family and so once you come you're part of our family we embrace you we have uh Let's see, Biz is from Canada. Mm-hmm. She's here three or four times a year working with us. Uh, Lynn has w- been with us since 85, maybe? I think a little bit earlier than yeah. that. Yeah, and she comes back year after year. I want to spend two weeks of summer with you. Uh, now she's saying, well, my knees are a little bit sore. Do you have something besides mammoths to work on? I go, oh, yeah, we got cave sediments from caves that we're working on nearby. And uh, if you want to pick little bones out from dirt under a microscope, she goes, oh, yeah. And then at other times, she's doing preparation on a mammoth skull that's right there where the visitors. So she's talking with them while she's cleaning up the skull. So there's so many different things you can do at whatever age or whatever you want to do. Yeah, for sure. So one thing, we keep saying dig, dig, dig which is the correct term, but I think it's not just going out with your spade shovel and going in. What are the paleontological like intricacies of a dig? Typically when we're, it, for our site, it's, it's clay and sand. So a lot of times we're using a, a trowel and a dental tool. As you get close to a bone, you don't want to chip into it. So you might be using dental tools, little tiny picks and all. But in, in certain other areas, uh, we got to move a lot of dirt, and so we might have a pickaxe, but that's pretty rare for where uh, for the mammoth site now. Um, so it's usually dainty tools. Yeah, and when I think of it, I always think of the brush guy, like the guy with the brush yeah, on the bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, you got to do my, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now sometimes we run into carbonate, so it's sort of like having a cement uh, fusing two pieces of bone together. And that you can't use a dental pick on, so we might have an air compressor and what we call a pneumatic and air uh, air scribe, which basically like uh, a coarse thing of like what the dentist might use on your tooth, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, and get rid of that cement. And uh, so it, it really depends on what job you have to do. Uh, we used to have a backhoe. Uh, now that we have a building over the site since '86, 
we now have a crane in there. So when we're ready to pull a big skull out, we'll use the crane, and it's been all jacketed up in plaster and burlap, and we'll put chains around it, lift it up, and put it on a trolley, and away it goes. For sure. So I'm sure this question you get very, very sick of. I'm sure you get it a lot. Is it possible to clone a mammoth? Uh, is it possible? Yes. Um, have they done it? They they say, I think it's a French group, I can't remember, that they've been able to take some frozen mammoth material and actually get it to, quote, show that it's alive, if you will. Okay. Um, that's a f- that's a great step if it's true. I'm not saying that they're lying. It's just a, you know interpretation. Um, but to clone it, um, it should be able to. Uh, they're getting better and bear, better every year at doing this. Um, I think it's conceptually neat. I'm not sure I, I'm in favor of it. Uh, it's dead and gone. Um, in some ways, I think whatever we get is going to be half mammoth half something else so it's going to be a mule like animal you know half donkey and half horse uh is it viable don't know uh how how good is it i don't know it i don't know what kind of uh environment it needs certainly the environment of the mammoth does not exist anymore it too has fabricated into different other environments so in some ways, I'd hate to be that animal. You know, it'd be like, I feel so alone. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, that would be dealing in the world of hypothetical. Say it is completely possible. I mean, yeah. we, we've gotten to the point where it's like, yep, we can do this can right do now. Do we even want to? Is it is it something that, I mean, people get mad if deer are in their yard <laughs> eating their flowers. It's like, could you imagine if a mammoth came walking through your yard? Uh, yeah, that would be interesting. Of course, you know, you can look at some movies in, in Africa where they put up fences uh, around the cornfield to keep the African elephants out. And there's a real good movie that shows the elephants come up to the fence. They know it's electrical. The females all stand at it, toot their horn, ears go out, and the young males come charging through. I'll take (laughs) care of this. They knock the fence down. They get shocked. And you could see the, the females going, you know, this works every time. Yep. <laughs> and then you could take that and put that at the mammoth site and go, that's how they got caught. But, yeah, I don't know if I'd want mammoths just roaming around here. We're having a hard enough time with bison, you know, uh, having people revert to bison. But uh, the concept is good. Maybe we'll learn something from that that will help medically other areas versus just mammoths. Yeah, for sure. I guess um, as we kind of wrap up here, how can people find you? How can they help you if you guys oh, um, okay. donations and, and stuff like that as you are a nonprofit? Yes, we are a nonprofit. And so um, through the different programs like um, the Mammoth Excavation and Preservation Program, that is one way. Um, you can also visit our website. You can become a member. Um, we love when people become a membership. Um, there's different things that are available for them as being a member. Um, we do different events. In fact, we have an event coming up called Murder Mystery Night. And so um, we do an annual fundraiser. That's one of the fundraisers that we do. 
We also do a fossil fright night um, around Halloween time, but that is where we give back to the community. So um, what happens with that is you bring food, three cans of food, and you get in for free. Or if you don't bring food, you can pay a cost. Um, We use a very low fee, which is our education rate at that time, and that goes to our education programs. And so um, the MAMA site, first and foremost, we are an education and scientific research institution. So um, if you're looking to help, you can go to our website. There's different ways to become members. We also have an Adopt an Ice Age animal program as well, and so that's really cool. Um, there's different ways. So as long as you visit this the website, you can figure out all those things, or you can just give me a call and talk to me, I and I can I want to know more you. about this murder mystery thing that's coming up. The murder uh, mystery do, do I die? Do I? Did I do it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't, it's a secret. I'm, uh, you know, so few people know anything about this thing that's coming up. You know, and I feel like, well, uh, you know, I'm kind of – co-in charge of the place what date is the murder mystery on again? it is april 26th it's the last 26th. friday in right. april a month from today sort oh, of yes. for sure so what we got going on is this is recorded but we should be able to get it posted and get you up for april 26th oh main thing that'd is, be absolutely. sweet good but main thing is go to our website and better yet come by and see us yes yeah, yes. for sure. Awesome. Cool. Do you guys have any last minute thoughts that you'd like to, maybe we didn't touch on something that's super important? Think Mama. Think Ice Age. Think, think Ice Age. Think climate. We are involved in so many different projects, not only just the Mammoth site, but we're also going in the beginning of May, we're going to the Snake River Fossil Site, and we're going to be doing a test excavation out there to see kind of what we're dealing with with that's bison. in minnesota yeah that's yeah. in minnesota yeah. where at in minnesota on the south of st cloud near becker which oh is really i was born in becker minnesota what? Or, oh, well really? i was born in winona but i spent like three years like when i was very young in becker we well lived you in should becker. know all about bison then. i should i guess well you better come out and just we'll, we'll <laughs> i'll tell my mom and dad to meet you yeah right. you should yeah yes. absolutely so we're doing, um, out there, we're doing an education day. And so where the different schools, school children can come and see what an excavation looks like. They also get to learn about the farming aspect mm-hmm. of it, what a bison farm is like. And so there's many different components to that. And then Thursday is where different people can come out and check us out, see what the, see the mammoth site. They're like, what are they doing here? And so our scientists will be able to show them kind of what an excavation, a test excavation is going to look like. Um, we also do cave work. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked on persistence cave with wing cave national park so we work with many different partnerships and also the channel islands um the channel island national park right now we have a skull that's at the site of a we're looking at to see if it's a transitional mammoth or not is it a pygmy mammoth or a columbian mammoth yes okay so we're working on to see what that's all about and so we have a preparator that's doing some work and so we're prepping it out to kind of see where we fall in line with that but we have many different partnerships and we we're international. We're all across the all across the globe that we work with. So, um, you know, there's different aspects to the Mamasay as well. So our, our preparator is interesting. She came out from Wisconsin on her Harley during that season of the year. Exactly. We all know about that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she goes, oh, I just love Ice Age and mammals. Well, then come work with us. So she did the next year next year and then she went and got her degree with us and then another degree and now she's a preparator for the national park service working with us we get a lot of people that grow up through us with us and uh end up staying in the system 
That's kind of fun. Yeah, which is great and shows kind of what your culture is all about down there. Education. Yes. Yep. Education. Absolutely. Thank well, you. Very cool, guys. Yes. Thanks for coming on and talking to me. I had a, I had a blast. You I think people are going to learn again. a bunch. Yes, you I need absolutely to come see will. Us. I absolutely will. And I'm going to quiz you about bison because you're from Becker. Yeah. Well, uh, kind of from Becker. But yeah, yeah, you can quiz me. I'll do my best. <laughs> well, thanks for having awesome. us. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And thanks for tuning in. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.